0: Welcome everybody to Tea with Noma. My name is Norma Temamakakura, the current director for the Youth Leadership Portfolio at Engineers Without Borders South Africa. Our big goal is to catalyze the development of resilient, resourceful, and results-driven young engineers with a very big social consciousness. In this series of conversations, we talk to trailblazers from across Africa who are very passionate about transforming the communities they come from. Please do join us. Unfortunately, in this episode, I experienced network issues due to load shedding in South Africa. Please do be patient with us. Cool. So, um, as I said, like I, I really thank you for having me with me today. I feel like we need to really start getting into discussions about how we can bring about sustainable change in our different communities. And um, I think you've done a good job with starting EWBSA and collecting everybody. So I'd like you all to sort of introduce yourselves individually, and then we can start with tea, you know.
1: So I'm Michelle Lowe, co-founder of Engineers Without Borders South Africa and Engineers Without Borders FITS, the university chapter. I worked as a lecturer at Wits University where I did my PhD and bachelor's in chemical engineering and my PhD was looking at ways to improve the production rate of aquatic plants using carbon dioxide. Um, yeah and then my career went through a different career trajectory and now I'm working policy and projects and looking at growing um, the medical tech and biotech and pharmaceutical sector here so I've where I am working now but it's been interesting the different career trajectories but using my skills and because I really liked it what we said, you know as a student <laughs> so as a student like when I was a p- doing my master's converting to PhD at the same time um universities is like what she said it's where you meet right um people so I went actually went on a girl end workshop in July when they have their thing um uh, what, yeah, when they have their fellowship, I think, the Golenge Fellowship, or Womens, yeah. Womens Fellowship, yeah. there we go, got it, the Womens Fellowship, and at the, before I went, David asked in the office casually, oh, do you know if there's a volunteer organization for engineers, and I'm like, I don't know, and then I went away to this Womens Fellowship, and we were walking around in the communities, and we had to work with other um, people, um, like other fellows in a community project, and one of the fellows, one of the girls there was like saying, hey, there is uh, Engineers without Our Borders at UCT. I'm like, really? What do they do? Can they really help us with this project here that we're proposing for Women's Fellowship? And she was like, yeah, sure. They're like volunteers. They can do all these engineering things. And I'm like, I have to tell David about this when I get back to Joburg <laughs> So um, therefore I went to Joburg and I told yeah. David and just joined along on his uh, vision mission to start up EWB-VIT and then when uh, Whitaker came along, yeah, went through Amazing. with that too, enjoyed the vision and what she proposed and yeah, the energy just went with that.
0: That's so interesting. I didn't know that WOMENG was already there, like, you know, there was UCTU, and then okay, ewb It's a nice story. <laughs> cool. It's an origin story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. So anyone else in a group?
2: Yeah, I can go. I think Michelle did such a good job of explaining it. I don't have to spend that long on it. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, so I, my name is David Ming. I studied at Vits too. I was in the class with Michelle, so we studied together. Um, but I started up EWB, or we started up EWB Vits, then also co-founded EWB SA. And... Um, I think my drive for doing it was, um, when I came out of university, I realized that there's quite a lot of skills that you learn in your time at university and growing up in a place like South Africa, you're always confronted with so much inequality and differences in, in opportunity and so on. So I felt like I wanted to try and leverage what I learned to society and that's how I started. So. Coming out of university, I felt like it's got to be more than just being another cog in the wheel, I guess, and just getting your your engineering degree and getting paid for it. So I wanted to find opportunities to do it. And that's where Michelle um, introduced these ideas of, you know, EWB and, and all of these things. So I uh, started from that and then ever since then been involved with growing EWB SA with VIPCA and the rest of the team. So yeah, that's a short intro to me, but um, yeah, it's been very very interesting. Yeah. When was this actually? This was which year? Just for some context. Uh, about
0: 2010. 2010. Okay, yeah. yeah. it's 10 years. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Ah, okay, nice. I only joined. i um, yeah. So I guess I only started with you like 2013. So it was two years in. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you should go ahead. Whoops. <laughs>
3: So my name is Vivka Toussaint. I did my bachelor's and my master's at UCT. And my bachelor's was in mechanical engineering and my master's in computer science. And right now I'm doing a PhD in still computer science, artificial intelligence. Um, but my real fascination is what I'm interested in is machine learning in the Internet of Things um, and basically how we bring how we bring the data digital world realm to our physical infrastructure so I think of it as the evolution of traditional engineering rather than as something completely different um, and yeah so, so the, the way I, I got exposed to involved with EWB um was that in my in my third year of university I went to do that work um as we do and I thought oh, sh- oh no <laughs> I'm not ready for this working world yet it's not as exciting as I thought it would be and and so i made the executive decision to to, to spend to, to take my four-year degree to five years um, okay. so that i could really like leverage, leverage leverage the opportunity to meet people on campus and okay. i think universities are there's such a fantastic opportunity to to meet to meet other people that will be driving south africa kind of like your contemporaries Um, And especially like you're not only meeting engineers, you're meeting a diversity of people. You can meet lawyers, you can meet doctors, you meet people in arts, you meet people in accounting. Um, So you're really exposed to different people. And after university, it sometimes becomes a bit difficult to to kind of get that same degree of of insights and access to people. So I wanted to optimize that and get involved in various social and social impact initiatives. A person that I knew, a colleague had set up EWB at UCT. um, They were quite an informal collection of students at that point in time. And they needed to formalize as a committee. And so I got involved effectively setting up the first formal committee of EWBUCT. Um, and then after, after university, I moved to, after my bachelor's, I moved to Joburg, as we do, um, to start off as a graduate consulting engineer. And same days, I found myself, I found myself a bit frustrated because I had a particular view of what, in, what working as an engineer might be like. And i found reality didn't quite match that um and yeah. so i i had i guess i had dreams and desires of, of changing south africa for the better and i found yeah. day-to-day work was just day-to-day work and in that sense then realizing that that the engineering sector might not or realizing that, that i can't change the corporate world that fast and realizing that that i'm oh, at that point in time i wasn't considering working in government which i now think everybody should Uh, But but EWB became kind of then an alternative option to say, hey, we can create an organization to live out those things that we don't find in the workplace. Um, Uh, And so Engineers Without Borders became this this avenue and this opportunity to bring together like-minded engineers that wanted to change South Africa for the better. Yeah. And I think that's what always got me really excited about it. And yeah, the reason why I get out of morning, get out of the morning in the bed, or get out of morning in the bed, is for the connections with like-minded people that want to create and shape the
0: world. No, that's amazing. That's really amazing. So if I were to summarize, um, it's David and Michelle were able to uh, found um, the, or start the EWB Vits chapter, and then basically. First, uh, forming the first formal chapter for uh, EWB UCT. And then at some point you guys met and then you started EWBSA. Well well done on meeting, you know. <laughs> yeah, well done on <laughs> on I doing that. I don't remember you
3: know? how we ended up meeting, but maybe it was a natural thing. Maybe I was looking out. Actually, no, because David and Michelle had emailed me at some point when I was running EWB but but um, that slipped through the cracks. And I think it was only when I moved to Joburg I was like, hey, wait a moment. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that's true like when I joined EWB the first thing I was told is that I'm gonna have a story like when I leave like a story about like how I met that person and then that person yeah, that person. literally I have that exact story so definitely a place you make friends right so I wanted to ask the first question and um maybe you've already alluded to some of this but uh I wanted to ask, what is it that you actually wanted to change with your engineering skills in the world? I mean, what's the need that you guys were trying to fill other than creating a community? Um, what was it that was inspiring the desire uh, to have a platform to do something? Um,
1: yeah, I guess so what wakes us up in the morning? Let's see. Um, I guess, look, yeah, we all altruistic in nature. Yes. Um, it's like... I guess it's trying to, what that means is trying to use the resources and what we know and like our skills to help others while trying to also find a balance of life. So integrating that into like our work and our life and all that. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess when David asked about EWB, then I, I felt like his motivation and then I, I saw something big in it, you know, so that's mm-hmm. what kind of woke me up. Like, oh, wait, like engineers can volunteer and then but more from like not from the corporate perspective like what to do after university but from a student perspective like I wish I had this as an undergrad so mm. yeah I guess when Webca came along it was what woke us up is to connect people so therefore like connecting the chapters so that we could function as a unit or a voice and then also to encourage that collaboration between people and therefore like encourage the collaboration between the chapters so they could learn from one another and mm-hmm. how to do things and then and what they could learn on doing so it's all about a learning process and mm-hmm. a collaborative process as well and as you said like normal like a story met like you'll meet someone or network with someone yeah mm-hmm. but that wasn't like the outcome the outcome was like how can we help others and like yeah um use mm-hmm. our
0: skills and connect people Okay. Yeah, I just thought EWB was going to be like Doctors Without Borders, and so I was like, I'm in, (laughs) because it was already yeah, it was that simple. Because you guys had already started it, you know. Anyway, yeah.
2: You raised a good point there around um, Doctors Without Borders, because I think it speaks to a bigger thing that we do differently from uh, other sort of similar organisations. But I think initially, um. You do get hooked in because you think, oh, it's like doctors without borders, but actually just yeah. replace the doctor with engineers and you, you go into like some sort of um, some sort of like relief type of situation where you're trying to just come in and save the world. Yeah. But uh, you don't really realize that it's not like that in reality and often that can be more damaging. So yeah. I think for me, um, we all start from this place of being like what Michelle said, altruistic. Um, I always felt like I wanted to make a difference not necessarily um, you know like change the world or be superman and like revolutionize everything but I just felt like I wanted to do something so I still think that if I were to have studied in an alternate universe like finance or medicine or law or something I might have done a similar thing but it was actually engineering that I studied and what i was passionate about and i always felt like well if i've got these skills then how do i leverage them to actually do something more than just uh, like get paid um, so i think for me it was it was really about like just trying to understand where i fit in society and how i can do my bits uh, but i think that's where a lot of people start especially with an ewb and that's how uh, you get hooked by it um, and then Like through this journey, you realize how complex and tricky it can be. Even though we started in that spot, I think we all learned through this journey how we can make it better and how how we can make it more sustainable and more impactful and effective. And I think that that talks to why we are different to like a Doctors Without Borders, which is very much based on relief work. Uh, I think we much more, education and things like that are, are much more fundamental to what we do. I think that's what makes us interesting and, and unique. It was just like this idea of trying to contribute a bit more, but I think it's become so much bigger than that.
0: No, that's like a great description. I actually, I, I always say that EWBSA helps you manage your, your passion. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. The, okay, okay. You still have the question, right?
3: My question to you, Noma, is is if yes. tea with Noma is an opportunity to be marshmallow, like to be mushy and vulnerable and
0: tell you
4: the stories that you didn't get.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah, and all the marshmallow and all the softness. All, the, <laughs> okay. all right. Okay.
1: <laughs> <Marshmallow>, <laughs> now, now we're brying. Hey, the fire has gone. Now we're really getting to those stories.
0: <laughs> Yeah, think of it as we add a fire and, and you know, it's the time to have that chat now. So that's what we yeah. Okay, exactly.
3: and back to and back to the question that you asked us is like kind of like what motivated the the creation of EWB, right? I'm still yeah. on the right track. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what I was gonna start with is look at me, look at my face. I'm white. Um, okay. And it there's a, so to me, there was always a question of saying, I, I I feel I feel white in South Africa. so you 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 feel like you feel like you' privileged, you feel like you've got access, you feel like I feel I felt like I had opportunity. and i and so there was a very particular event that happened when I started working where one of my colleagues um took me to her village, and she wanted to build a library. And we ended up raising, so kind of, we ended up creating a book drive at our company, um, and ended up um, collecting some, like about fifty thousand rand to to build that library. And so one weekend, I went home with her, and and kind of like like she she introduced me to to her world there, um, Julia. And what really struck me on 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 that. On that over that weekend was realizing that I'm not Julia like I don't have a village community that I'm going to go to that I'm that I can change and if I go to a village in South Africa I'll always be the white woman that has appeared and they'll always be like I won't ever be the people from that village um and so I felt I was faced with two situations I was faced with a situation where I could say okay this is not my problem I'm stepping out of this I could say is okay but like who is my community then and where can I create change and so to me in the end it came back to saying like I can I can I can say that engineers are my community and if I say that engineers are my community it doesn't matter whether I'm black or white or anything else in between um and and so that kind of was the one side and on the other side I I truly believe and I still believe that engineers bring development without engineers a country Cannot develop, And let's say now as we think a lot about tech, we think a lot about inter- internet, etc. Without electricity, without water, these things don't exist. Without road infrastructure and transport, we cannot live a modern life. And so it's really the services that engineers bring to modern life that creates development, because it creates opportunities for people to do what they want to do. Um, and so it was bringing those two things together. And so to me, it's then, who, who was my community? My, my community, my personal community became, like, let's call it my village, became Engineers Without Borders because I didn't have another village. Um, yeah, and so in that sense, it's, I, I, I still believe that today is that without, without engineers, a country is toast because it means you're not going to have electricity, you're not going to have water, you're not going to have roads. Um, and those are really the starting point for allowing small entrepreneurs to create businesses for allowing kids to go to school, for allowing people to go to work, um, and that's why I'm still as like I'm as passionate about engineers without borders today and about engineering as a whole, um, because if we want to build South Africa, if we want to build Africa, we have to do it with our hands, and engineers lay the foundations for that.
0: Yeah, that's so true, Vibes. You are still there. Maybe uh, you can try and explain to us how. Like your passion went from that to now a platform where EWBSA basically we got to a point where we we agreed that we our plan is to generate you know engineering knowledge, use engineering knowledge, and then transfer engineering knowledge. And we've tried to do that in multiple ways over the past eight years. Firstly, I just want to know like you you guys think we've been effective and um, you know what's been like the highlight of that experience so if you can start
3: I think we've been evolving um, and I think evolving is maybe more important than being effective up front so okay. I mean EWB has always been all of us learning and I think we're so if EWB will never set out to be the perfect organization. Um, it never set out to do everything right. It set out to create a space where we can try and learn. And so, I mean, for me, being like, let's say running EWB was the first time that I got an opportunity to be the CEO of an organization with a hell of, of a lot of people. Um, it was the first time that I got the opportunity to organize a summit for like 30 people. It was it was the first time that I got an opportunity to create plans and put them into action. And I know that for many of the ch- of the student chapters, actually, for all of the student chapters, they were they've always been pioneers in their own worlds. Um, and so yeah. in that sense, I think like we've always EWB has often struggled to to measure or to both to define and measure effectiveness, because okay. the learning has often been deeply embedded and integrated into the experience of the individuals. And yeah. so now I think if you go back to like, let's say the 100, 150 student leaders that really were actively engaged in EWB, most yeah. of them are really flying in their professional careers. And I think a part of that is through the experience and the learning that they gained through through EWB. But also yeah. most of it was, again, self-directed. It wasn't, it wasn't Dave, Michelle or I saying, here's a textbook and, and you figure mm-hmm. out and, and you'll know what to do. It was yeah. Dave, Michelle, and I being absent, <laughs> and <laughs> people figuring it out themselves and learning through the process. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, that said, it's like, I do think it's important to define what success means and to to define what being effective means and to strive for that and to have metrics. So I think all of that is important. But I'm also yeah. saying is at, at like 22, I didn't know better, um, or we didn't know better. And so it was mm-hmm. always a process of trial and error. And I think... I think that process of trial and error is is okay and we shouldn't be should, we should be careful of throwing it out of the like throwing baby out with a bottle of water throwing out the experience learned through trial and error just you because know. we want to work according to a template um yeah so like yeah so i think i think we've i think we've so i think where we've been the least effective is in sharing what we've done And I think that's exactly what you're doing right now. So the nice thing is to know is there's a generation that comes afterwards that might be more effective at some aspects than what you were.
0: Yeah, the transferring also, like, you know, the transferring of the knowledge and the experiences. Yeah, Yeah.
2: We're still around, so we've done something right. And, like, so as much as... (laughs) yeah. Nothing is perfect. Uh, we can always, like, and I think we always fall into this trap of benchmarking ourselves against other organizations, saying, oh, like they do this, we do this, how do we compare? And um, I think sometimes are quite hard on ourselves. We're around, you know, and like we've actually grown and been quite agile in how we've pivoted from things. I've I've always been quite impressed at how flexible we are. And, you know, a couple of years ago we were, Fibke and I and some of the directors were chatting about like, what is it that makes us so different or unique? and. I think that's where the resilience keyword came out of it it was like this this trait that we have when we go on an ewb type of experience where you build this like industrial strength resilience and it's like it's almost in a way it's a double-edged sword because you know things are going to fail but then you you try and adapt to it and change to it and i think that's been really really powerful for a lot of people going into ewb and like Going on projects and all of those things. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with Webco. Like, there's lots of lots of things we, we could do, and, and like how we can measure ourselves and all of those things. But I think in general, it's been so successful, wildly different to what I ever thought it would ever be. Um, and I think even if I look at the other EWBs around. Th- the world—they all are quite impressed with UWESA, like how we do things and how we operate and how we think about the world and our lens that we put on things. So I think we've been very successful in that. I mean, like sure, we could do more, and it could always be better, and there could be more money and so on. But um, I've really appreciated the resilience aspect that um, we've managed to foster in the communities.
0: Yeah, that's actually quite a, a key one there with resilience, especially in 2020. That's one trait. That kept me going like as a leader in my in my work. And in fact, that word started like, Especially um, after we put up the article, because we talked about resilience, results-driven, and uh, you know, resourceful engineers. So it's quite, a, it's quite, an important trait because if you think of what happened this year, we've needed people to be resilient to get through the year. Yeah. I agree Can with I quickly that.
3: jump in because I think that, that, that this, in some ways, also represents an interesting transition in EWP because we definitely we started off with this generating, using, and transferring engineering knowledge is what we do,
4: yeah.
3: and over time. And we then realized, well, those are all those are all things that we would like to do. But in reality, where we really are at, what we can say we've done is help young engineers to become resilient, resourceful and results driven. And I think for us that was quite a realization to say is maybe it's more sensible to start thinking about ourselves around how do we really foster these character attributes in people um, who will ultimately be building the country rather than focusing so much on generating, using and transferring knowledge. Um, and yeah. so the, the, that is still I guess that's that might still be there a little bit, but I think over time we really migrated from the things that we do to the people that we want to that we want to nurture.
0: Yes, no, that's true that's true. It's like we basically tended towards more um, developing those capabilities in the people as opposed to creating a system of any sort yeah. yeah cool. And you, Michelle, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I just um going i'm thinking yes No, <laughs> so, yeah <that's> good. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> i guess at the time it like generate use and transfer knowledge engineering knowledge that's like was all about the strategy like where we wanted to see ewb go towards and i really appreciated those um those three parts to what we wanted to see where ewb goes yep and but then now we're like with this resilience resourcefulness and results driven I guess that speaks to the impact. It's a good way in which EWB is measuring the impact of those three that were generate, use and transfer. So I guess initially when we were wanting to like start EWB, it seemed like we were using engineering knowledge to try and solve problems at the surface level. um, And like, but that got us into the community and all that. So that was, that's good. And we still want to use our engineering knowledge, but we want to use it more in a societal way. So then, therefore, it was more transferring that knowledge, which I think was good with the HCD courses where we said every chapter should do it so that they could actually know what it means to have um, going into the community and asking them what they they need instead of what we thought they wanted. So I, I appreciate that whole transferring knowledge to the students and the knowledge to the students from the course, but also from the community to the students. So that was a good aspect of... Yeah, uh, transfer. Um, yeah, but um, generating the knowledge, I agree with Wifka, like um, capturing it via this technology of this platform, it's good. Like, this is a YouTube video that this Tea of Norma, it's a nice <laughs> way to <laughs> generate and like what we use, what the lawyers use, codify. So, we codifying the uh, engineers of border South African knowledge and our lessons, so that you know, I guess I always like that quote: you can't always make all the mistakes in the world. Good to learn um other people's mistakes. And also, like when you're both talking about fail safe, um, I also appreciated that word because you want a safe environment to fail, and and then everyone is supportive of that. And so I remember when we all started in the beginning, like even as a Wits chapter and all that, and Having um, team members um, shout out to Laura. <laughs> um, we we didn't care what our positions meant. We just did tasks. What mattered the most, so we could progress the organisation. So if we tried our hand at something, we didn't we did we didn't do well, then would someone else would do it. But if we did well in it, would continue going for it. So it would just, yeah, it's a good place. And I think the students are still doing that, and it's reflected like that. Fail yeah, and grow. Yeah. I think oh there's God. a um, go yeah,
2: <laughs> well, added quickly but I think there's a nice element of courage that UWB fosters in people and it's very easy to say oh like I want to go out and do stuff and I want to do something and like I think that's where it starts maybe it, it does come from a good place but then UWB has been a good place that I've realized to almost step back and say I oh, like I don't actually need to do anything. I, I just need to have a bit more courage in what I want to do. And I think that's where we pivoted a bit to more of like the qualities that we want to try and foster in a professional engineer of the future in Africa. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's my view of it.
3: Um, I yeah. also wanted to jump in and, and tie it a bit to, a, to, an, so, to an ongoing discussion I've been having with a, with a friend of mine Lisa. Well. Um And it's, it's a conversation around doing and being. Um, and maybe as a, as a precursor to that, I'll say is I think all all worthwhile things in life are complex and have tensions, so they don't have simple answers. Right. Um, and I think doing and being um, represents one of them. And it's maybe on a, on a personal note, it's this question of when should you invest in yourself and build up yourself and kind of bring like like kind of understanding that kind of self-healing and, and well-being and personal well-being and so on is really important. And when do you go out and act in the world, and which te- which is takes strain, which creates friction, which often actually, in some ways, I won't say destroys, but it 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 it, it, it takes you out of your zen space, and um, and kind of can you can you go out and act and do when you can't be when you don't feel healed and full yourself, um, yeah. but on the other hand, also quite often through doing you 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 become, um, and so there is this cycle between doing and being, and this tension that exists and increasingly i think it's not a linear thing it's not that you first are and then you do it's not that you first do and then you become it's a constant it's a constant cycle and there's constant tension and i think in ewb almost that tension is resembled between projects and people and Mm. so saying like when like do we focus on doing projects or do we focus on building people and can if we only do one or only the other can 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 the organization exist and i think I think we've gone through stages so we started off doing projects um which was the like also this generating using transfer and then we moved on to like focusing on people um but then eventually you have to say again if the people don't go out and do projects then is there a point um on the other hand if you go do projects but you don't build the people is there a point? and so i think this doing and being this self and the world this projects and people is something where there's a constant tension and i think it's it's, it's important to view it as an ongoing cycle rather than as an absolute. And I think it's especially important not to consider, if we speak again about effectiveness, I think it's important to also realize where in where that circle you are. And that, for example, if you've been building and investing in people, that you then don't consider yourself a failure because you haven't been doing projects. Or on the other side, if you've been doing projects, you don't consider yourself a failure because you haven't been looking after people. But more that you can say is, okay, what's the balance like? And do we need to shift that?
1: I like that webcam because I like, you know, with you, the, what's it? Oh, cos, tan, and sign, <laughs> <laughs> And then you have the cos graph going up and down. You know, it's cos life. You know, we just, cause, we're just balancing the, between that. <laughs> if I think about it, yeah, that's true. Uh,
0: I forgot, I'm with engineers, you know.
1: Um, <laughs> <typical>. Oh, <No>, mathematics. <laughs> I mean, everyone. I'm <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh,
4: with you, Cos. <laughs> <laughs> hey, know,
0: <laughs> um, um, cause okay, cool. you <laughs> are not going for
1: a tag. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool, cool.
0: Thank okay, you so I think um maybe the next question I have and um uh, is like what were the uh, because you're describing it now what were the challenges of having to initiate a whole volunteer organization while juggling like full-on budding careers like
3: I mean I feel at that point in time I'll just do a very quick one and then we can have it like more dynamic conversation I I didn't really consider like there were challenges but I felt the challenges weren't necessarily related that much to work-life balance kind of things because I guess for one there was less social media so you wasted less of your time trying to write tweets (laughs) and other messages and (laughs) you were much more proactive and you wasted less time trying to look good in the digital world (laughs) but um
4: sorry but
3: but, um now I lost my thread because I was laughing Um, (laughs) but so and and I think there's a part where when you when you new to work it's like you don't have I didn't have children of my own I think at that point I like relationships were kind of like I still had some time so so there were a lot of there were a lot of things that consume my time now that weren't an issue then so I think quite often it was it felt normal to work on weekends it felt normal to work an extra three hours on EWB in the evenings after after finishing normal work mm. And so mm-hmm. I think like doing 10, 11 hour workdays and spending weekends doing EWB didn't feel like extravagant. Which yeah. <laughs> now I guess it's, it's like it it would feel more strenuous yeah. doing it now. I guess. I agree. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Thank you for the honesty. You know, <laughs> okay, cool. It did. It gets complex after a while. Like the first three years after university, I feel like exactly. you have enough time. Exactly. Uh, after that, it gets very tricky. Like.
3: It does. <laughs> yeah, and I think it becomes about figuring out how to delegate better, how to, and it's realizing this is, is like, I think that's why passing on opportunity and leadership and, and really building the next generation is so important because eventually you will run out of steam. And if you're not going to run out of steam, eventually you die, like that's life. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't train the people that are coming after you to do what you are doing, then then like there's no
0: sustainability. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And that's so true because mentorship and uh, sort of transferring knowledge is such a big component of EWB. And it it becomes so informal, like how you get mentors, like it becomes very informal because it's people that you work with on a day-to-day basis and you're actually learning skills all along until you, you solidify it. So.
1: Yes, because there were two aspects to it. There was the chapter, and then there was the organisation. They were all happening at the same time because we were doing a, a master slash PhD. So as a yeah. student, you had time. But <laughs> okay. then when we did the organisation, it was uh, working more full time, lecturing, and then doing um, yeah doing EWB. So I agree with Webco. Like we had the weekends, we had after hours. Um, yeah. You have all that in it. Also, oh, so you have all that energy, you know, just use all your energy now, blow, like, I mean, <laughs> after, yeah, those first few years after uni, just capitalize on that energy, you know, you see something, go for it, you have that motivation, go, you know, join, join someone who has the vision, and you want to help them just collaborate and work with that energy, so like, yeah, that's, I had a lot of energy okay. to push things through. But also working with um, other energetic people, like, you know, we didn't do it all by ourselves, like with the chapter, the Vits chapter. I know Laura DeSantis was there as well. Yes. So was working and pulling on other people that would help us through doing these other tasks that we, we, we couldn't do and where you could pull it in. And I guess, yeah, it's if you also have a supportive work environment, that helps yeah. um, okay. because background as a lecturer, you evaluated on four things, on lecturing, teaching, um yeah, on teaching, sorry, uh, research, um, admin work that you have to con- perform at your university, but then there's a small proportion of like working um, it, in contribution to society. So lecturing at, you know, at a, a university in South Africa, they allow you to have time to contribute to volunteering. So okay. we could use that time as well when we we're not lecturing to I'll just do something during the office hours. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> good, cool. yeah, good times. I remember there was an office for EWB at the CHMT building upstairs there. I don't know how how well that went, but yeah, we used to have boxes and everything upstairs. So. Oh yeah,
2: you guys used to store yeah. all of the yeah.
0: posters and T-shirts and
4: everything. Yeah, we had <laughs> yeah, it yeah was so
1: yeah, the Witch Chapter, like, yeah, they managed, Richard Ward 5, they managed to get a little office there in that building. It was good.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. yeah the- the STEMG, I tried for years getting an office from them. Now so, <laughs> so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, somebody sees this in Denet's office. Time I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> cool. And you, Dave, was your story a similar to Michelle's? How did you find it?
2: Uh, I think I was a bit more highly strung. You were also working? Yes.
0: Um,
3: You were at Bitbang for
2: a time. Oh, I was like a commissioning engineer for a bit and working long hours. I mean, I I think you all realize that when you find something that's interesting, you get the energy for it. So I think just like Fibke and Michelle, we found the energy through EWB. So it never really felt like work. It felt more you know, like fun, interesting stuff all the time, and and you, when you're with other people, it just amplifies this energy and this interest. So it, if anything, it's quite um, cu- it's quite re-energizing sometimes. And yeah. I guess that's what the the leadership retreats and all of those things ended up doing is like you're just around people, and it makes you feel good, and that's why you're driven to do it. So I guess from the work perspective, it wasn't bad at all. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out if that was just youth or <laughs> something like <that> was going <laughs> on, but. Like, the work effort was, I mean, like, there was a lot of work to do all the time. Always, you know, like, um, got to organize this event, got to make this poster, you know, like, got to speak to these people and create all of these plans. Um, but I always had big fears with the popularity. So, I think most people, when they start something, they go, I want, like, I want someone to look at my stuff. Or I want, um, yeah. you know, interest. But we have never had that problem. It's always been too popular, almost. And, like, I always had this massive fear. <laughs> like, what do you do with it? Like, how do you actually leverage that interest in 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 a productive and constructive way so if you go to and do a talk everyone is always so interested like everyone wants to help they all want to sign up mostly and then they all just think it's like plain sailing and from my side I always felt like what do i actually do with these people so it felt sometimes like we were we were like building the train tracks as we were riding on it and like you sort of just have to do do what you can with what you have and um i think i was yeah maybe it was just like a highly strong point in my life <laughs> but like i always felt like i don't want to mess up opportunity of you know so many people wanting to help how do you do that in a nice way like you could just say oh we're gonna go and do something uh, like helicopter in a solution somewhere and then leave but you know that's not the right thing to do so yeah. like what do you do then when when 50 people want to do that yeah. and uh, is it still the same organization that people think that they are um, contributing to if you tell them something different so it starts to question you know what are you creating and is this actually what people want and I think often we've hooked people in with pictures of people like getting dirty in some kind of like engineering situation yeah and then they realize oh no it's actually about myself I'm learning about resilience and it's like I'm not actually going to save anyone yeah the person that I'm saving is me yeah. yeah. And, so, and some people don't, like, they don't want that. They want to actually just go out and get dirty. Um, yeah. And I think I've always had this tension between those two interests. And yeah. I think starting up initially also, like, because you don't have the history or, the or like, the previous runs on the board, it's, it's difficult to actually say if what you're doing is right. Like, for me, it was this, just constant fear of things just not working out because people just might not be interested in it after the first meeting or something. Um, <laughs> (laughs) i
3: I mean i think that's always been an interesting interesting journey of ewb is that we've had this massive popularity signing up because everybody wanted to do projects but everybody wanted the projects to be organized for them and i think after signing up people realized oh nothing is gonna move unless i do it Mm -hmm.
0: i was just saying it begins with me yeah
3: Yeah, exactly it begins with me and that's always been a it's always been a it's always been a very i guess strict stance that ewb used to have and it, and i mean i think i always always like that stance because I, it's still my perspective it's like the, if other pe- like if you want to develop you develop if other people develop for you they develop for themselves and you may or may not benefit. And so, from that perspective, I'm still a very firm believer that it 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 begins with you. If you don't do it, nothing will happen. But it does come at the cost also. And I think, Noma, you often in the past I often got the sense you were quite passionate about that. It. it sometimes comes at the pro- cost of doing projects because in order to do pro- like projects, no matter who does them, where in the world, projects are difficult to do, whether they're small or whether they're large, and they require. Like they require effort, they require planning, they require consolidation. And I think that's where we kind of like you, like on the one hand, if you want individuals to really drive and and learn and and pioneer, um it sometimes comes like with this very high failure rate. But I think it's finding the balance here yeah, again, between those two of saying when like how do we support people in their learning journey, but also, managed to, to do projects at the end of the day to, to kind of have impact on communities. Um, but I sometimes also think we had, like the vision we had, like we think that, I think sustainable might, it might be sustainable to do two, two, one or two good projects a year um, with a relatively large organization. I think we often wanted to do 50 or 100. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand also then I felt really humbled because some, I think some EWB chapters did really amazing projects that we were very, very local and didn't require much money, but had an impact. And I remember like to me one of the most humbling ones was EWB UKZN when they started off. Um, they did a food drive to collect, to collect food for, for engineering students that didn't have enough to eat because they, yeah, that didn't have enough to eat and it was exam time. And I remember in the, in the beginning, I just saw it from, from the outside and I was like, oh, why are they collecting food? And then, <laughs> then I heard the story yeah. from Pilani, and I, I felt so humbled, I was like, wow. Yeah. And, like, that yeah. is a project, too. So, i yeah, we sometimes we're a bit judgmental about, like, or, or we think we want to do, like, the big, the shiny, the sexy. Um, yeah. And it's really about doing deeply local, deeply mm. local, deeply contextual things.
4: Yeah,
0: that's very true. That's I want very to true. Add one
3: more thing on the effort, mm. because I, I'm just realizing we didn't touch on that. And that is, okay. like, organizing leadership summits. Is one of the most stressful things you
4: can do in your life. And I I'm know gonna
3: that. To, <laughs> so I'm going to have to put it out there to do justice to all the people who've ever organized a leadership summit and to all the people who haven't organized one but enjoyed one. So without a doubt, like those, like that was like being iron going, like do, organizing a leadership is like being iron going through the fire. You beaten, <laughs> And you come out stronger on the other side. You learn a lot through it, but it's not easy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I, a lot um, of them. <laughs> I don't
3: know why you've had your share.
0: <laughs> yeah hey that's yeah
1: that's yeah. And it changes yeah. it evolves. The leadership summit is not the same as it was the year before. You have to build on it because you have people who like are so passionate about EWB they are still in EWB and like they have seen what happened last year. So how do you change it for the next year and make it more um, a, a better learning experience for them but still having the essence of what you need to cover?
0: Yeah. yeah, that is so interesting. In this year's summit, I literally thought the same thing. There was like maybe four repeats and then everybody was new. And literally, like, yeah, anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> what I mean is it does change every year. It genuinely does change every year.
1: But normal, okay, if you need to, cool. yeah, call me up. We can yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll but call it's, you. It's, I'll I don't know how you. it will be with the pen for well, the pandemic, but it's like mm-hmm. I was thought it was find the venue and everything falls into place.
0: Yes, that's very true. <laughs> yes. That's very true. And you, if you don't have a venue, your insecurities are very high. Like you just you so know, high.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, true. that's true. By the no,
4: way, okay, so, so,
1: I don't. I can I add yeah. on to the the retreat? At yes,
4: first,
1: I'm not a camper. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like the, the bush, <laughs> and <laughs> but, yeah. but I appreciate yeah. it. I so like afterwards, not appreciate I don't know what the word is, like I I wanted the retreat in the yeah. you know in the away from Joburg, away from the C B D. Like, or I wanted it to be isolated from, you know, us driving up and down. So I like the places where we stayed in. Um, yeah. that's yes. So yeah. places where we could stay and not drive up and down, I liked.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. yeah. As long as there were no bugs, you know, I was just was just cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that issue, but yeah, otherwise, yeah. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I definitely, definitely missed it. the fires as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I missed yeah. the fire chat so I the fireside chats, the stars, yeah. the benches, the peacefulness of the environment. Yeah, that was that was good.
3: I think what the summit's always brought out to or highlighted to me is the importance of having diverse teams with diverse interests. So mm-hmm. I think in the in the, in the the earliest time, it's always got my way. I was like, ah, let's go to the bush. And I was like, ah, bugs, whatever, let's do this thing. And I mean, <laughs> I, I remember that one going out to Macaliesburg in the big 60 seat bus, taking four hours, going on some very wide yeah. at night, uh, arriving in a place without uh, water and arriving in a place. No Wi-Fi. Oh, no, no Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. I remember, I remember. Oh. I also remember, I I still think that brave resilience, I remember how everybody like got up in the morning at 7 o'clock on a Saturday Saturday and people were present, but maybe that was also just my my illusion, but then as the summit progressed, like later Michelle was like a stop when i was like no <laughs> so if, if the summits had gone my way there wouldn't have been any sweets there wouldn't have been any popcorn we would have all been <laughs> on a vegetarian diet and <laughs> Michelle eventually was like no 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 that's not gonna happen <laughs> so for some of the later summits you can thank michelle for the giddy bags and so on And yeah, I think there's a niceness in having people with different perspectives. I think people would have hated, not hated, but...
4: yeah.
0: No, (laughs) we really appreciated the upgrade. Yeah, (laughs) we we appreciated the upgrades. The changes were well received, you know, by (laughs) by all of us. (laughs) I know by the last three summits, we had hotels and everything was looking like a lot, a lot nice. And the students were a lot more comfortable. But, you know, I, I got to a place where I felt like, oh, wow. If we were to take them back to the bush, they would never like forgive me. Like they would just be like, no. <laughs> but I
4: mean, you yeah. know,
3: so this question of comfort is an interesting one because I think that's mm-hmm. it's one of our I think it's one of our challenges in South Africa is everybody wants mm-hmm. to be comfortable. And what that's if life true. isn't comfortable? And I mean, I, I don't have to tell I don't have to tell you in life is uncomfortable yeah. because you've got yeah. your own experience of it. But Somewhere like, like, it's like life itself is quite often not comfortable. And if we always only do comfort, it means we never go back to do the changes that need to be done. So sometimes you also have to get out of our comfort zone. And I think that's an aspect where I sometimes think is getting out of what feels comfortable and realizing that you can actually do it. It's the same as running a marathon. You're like, oh, you're going to be in pain. But then you realize, man, my body can do that, (laughs)
1: but
3: being like,
4: mm, yeah,
1: i <laughs> no, no, to the hotel. <laughs> But there, there are like um, these tents where you can camp and be comfortable. Glampy. So yes, glamping. so Consider that because I do think I liked, uh, you know, if if you could rotate between. Um, you know, you breathe in and you breathe out. So every alternate year yeah, for the repeat, So are we going on this? I, we should be talking yeah. about this on a touch place. So you can go <laughs> urban and you know you could go bush. So I'm just yeah, like just
0: to have a blend of both, really, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Breathe in it out. Yeah. Here we go.
0: Yes. Thank you. Quite a nice spot I want us to try next time when the COVID is over. So maybe if you can share with us uh, what direction your career path has taken. And if it's still closely linked to the passions that you had, you know, at the beginning when you wanted to. I wonder if so. you, you,
1: how you would answer that question too. Hey, Noma.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I would say definitely. Like I, I've I've grown up in a in a situation where empowering communities was very important. So EWB was a very generic move for me when I got to university, but I, I wasn't conscious of what I was doing. I was just doing EWB work because I felt like I needed to do that, and you know. Um, and then I just started like unconsciously carrying on with it. But I, now that I've like had time for myself to think post university, I'm realizing how closely linked it is to what I actually want to do with the world, the greater world. So in in terms of my career path itself, I'm still um, I work in the rest of Africa, and it's quite a community orientated environment. Like each each different type of tribe is a different community and for you to penetrate them and be able to do business with them you actually have to do a lot of human centered design and a lot of individualization of solutions so for me it's quite it uh, yeah it's yeah <laughs> i like it quite well aligned i don't know what do you maybe you guys can tell me about your experiences but i'm finding it more and more aligned even going into the future i mean there was a summit where i used to talk about my flowers you know and i was telling the students about you know gardening and whatnot and then i saw this year a lot of the students there are projects around agriculture and um, a lot of them have partnered with like other organizations that are already doing you know, like which is just so much bigger than what I could have. I was just talking about my garden, <laughs> and then they, have, yeah. So now they've given me such big ideas. I'm like, yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, they they do their uh, some of their human centered design. Um, well, their design courses around around gardening and like getting pump systems. It, and it's quite amazing because in the previous summit we were talking about the water, the food, and uh, energy nexus, which are some of um, Africa's challenges so I'm really excited about where ewB is going and where how well aligned we I've managed you know to to have it especially with my, my actual work so yeah maybe you guys can tell me where you are and what's happening so
3: in some ways I think it'll, I would make, I'll make a bold statement that I think it'll be it'll be impossible for me to have a career that I enjoy without it being aligned with ewB I think in reality, the way that that alignment kind of manifests itself changes over time. And so I definitely had a, so last year, now two years ago, it's so the beginning of 2019, I definitely had a strong sense that I needed a bit of a step away from EWB and actively organizing, be, like basically being an activist, like organizing, convening, managing, delegating work, the, um, finding people, motivating them. And I, I'd done that for a decade and I, I just needed a break. And so for me to go and do a PhD, I feel that, that to me has always felt quite self-indulgent because it means that for four years, I am not responsible for anybody. I'm not accountable to anybody. I don't need to think about anything other than what I want to think about and the outputs that I'm writing. Um, I mean, I'm making a PhD sound easy. It's, <laughs> it's quite a challenge, but a <laughs> yeah, PhD is true. a very individual project. Um, and I'm also quite conscious that, that the, that the, in some ways isn't, so my view is South Africa should focus on the first, second and third industrial revolutions and ignore the fourth, because if you don't have electricity, you can forget about computers. Um, so, so so in that sense, I feel what I'm doing isn't the most, like, I don't think South Africa should be thinking about smart, uh, like smart cities and smart grids or no, that's wrong. I think South Africa should be thinking about it but they need to have their own vision for it that doesn't align with how Amsterdam or Berlin or London is doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, from that sense, I, I feel there is a little bit of a disconnect. On the other hand, I think it does filter through in other ways. So I definitely feel that computer science as a discipline and particularly artificial intelligence are miles behind engineering when it comes to like, un- like understanding how, how design impacts, impacts users. And with the traditional engineering, it's so obvious because you see a road dividing a community, you see people not having water, you see people not having electricity. Oh, yeah. But with with AI, um, and so I think there's a lot of my experience from engineers without borders that I'm trying to bring into the into the research that I'm doing. Um, again, from a perspective of saying, what does it like? How does how does how does design really impact um, the experience of technology? And that to me is whenever I get confused about it in AI, I think back to it and say, OK, remember what it looks like physically in engineering. Um, so that's the one. And then the others, I'm becoming increasingly, uh, again, it's like this, I guess, this ment- mentorship and transferring knowledge through generations that I'm that I'm still very much connected to as a narrative. And I think as an, as an academic and as somebody who's wanting to go back to academia and teaching, um, that's definitely featuring quite strongly in how I view my career. so saying how do we build the next generation of engineers that's something I still want to do um, So in some ways much less much less activist much less mobilizing and moving um, but definitely still very very strongly rooted in the how does design affect for, affect people how do we design for people and how do we build the next generation of, of engineers in South Africa Okay okay cool.
0: Thank you for sharing.
2: Dave, want to go next? Yeah, okay, I can. You're putting me on the spot. Like, it's actually hard to think about your own career sometimes, yeah. I think. I think yeah, because you school. do it every day, yeah. Um, I always thought that I was more of a public servant than anything. So when I came out of university, I... I did a PhD but I was actually doing UWB as well at the same time and then after that I worked for a water company in like rural Mpumalanga trying to clean up acid mine drainage and always thought that that was a very good use of my skills for society and then from that I got an opportunity to teach. Spent many years in in a teaching role and like a transferring of knowledge role Um, and during that time UWB was always a a very prominent thing, and I guess it's what made me who I am. Um, and so then I think after that i always felt like if i do continue down this path i'm gonna feel almost one-dimensional like this is the only thing that i can do so for me i had to take a break from it too just like pipka not necessarily drive it so they're like so shallowly in terms of i'm actually doing the work and whatever but really just trying to understand what skills that i learn in that space that i can apply in a bigger domain or a different domain so i also um, transitioned a bit to analytics Um, and I think I'm seeing it too with because referring to in like machine learning and AI, there's like a lot of perceptions about how it can be used. And often it's a it comes from a certain industry or, or view of the world. And I think I will never I will never be like a computer scientist. I won't ever be like some sort of statistician or like mathematician or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm really like an engineer. So I'm trying to use those skills now to be a better applying them in in this new domain so again I think I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily in a non-profit space where I'm doing these things day to day but I think the qualities I want to impart in in these new careers is driven mostly from what I've learned from engineering and EWB don't think if you had to look at what I do now it doesn't look like I'm doing much but I think there's a lot of qualities that I've learned along the way, especially like the mm-hmm. teaching and the, the human-centered design and thinking about things holistically. That's been fundamental to how I view the world, and I think that's what makes you uh, like a, a very interesting professional when you go into these classically you know, like regimented domains of like maths and science and so on. Yeah, so, Yeah,
0: I oh, know that's a, that's an amazing perspective. I like what you said about being a public servant. That's that's a different <laughs> way to view yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, we were founders right and we started working on this hard like we started putting in a lot of thoughts and actually implementing our thoughts in the initial years and then we started like passing it down and letting everyone take over and evolving EWB as we say um, so with that because with EWB I think when I listen to Webka and David it's like we carry the culture of EWB with us and I think all the EWB SA alumni also carry that culture with them where they were applied in their work, in their place of work. So that's where I'm going to be talking about my perspective as an EWB like volunteer and founder, but just someone who was part of Engineers of Our Borders um, at the time of its like, uh, inception. Inception, so, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I guess with lecturing, it's always passing on skill, um, passing on, you know, knowledge. And then, you know, with my career movement, I guess I'm evolving. I My career is a process of evolution as well, just as EWB is. And there's chapters in my life. You could define, like, my work to chapters, um, yeah. like lecturing, PhD, lecturing, and in between, in, With the foundation of EWB running in the background because it was like a volunteer work and doing it after hours and so trying to find a way in which you could if you don't have enough time that you (laughs) to uh, do it um, after hours like how do you find that in your place of work and it's um, I guess it's also where I'm working now it's like in policy work or project work too and what Wipka mentioned when we first started, like, seeing the role of engineers in government.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: I'm seeing that, yes. and that's, that's that's needed. And, like, as my career, I've never saw, saw, saw that before, but as engineers, but also as academics, we should be involved in the conversation of what's going on to help with what's happening in whatever government um, area we are in. So... Yeah. Uh, What was I wrote here something? Yes, you wrote design, how will engineers go in and design and make things? And how would we contribute to what Norma, you spoke about at the summit with the water, energy and food? Yeah, so researchers, engineers, they they do the work in water, energy and food. And we can design but then so where I've been working, I've been seeing academics with their research contribute to policies, through their research and then that those policies will influence how the community or even the organisations or engineers work in that space. So I've been fortunate enough to see that from that perspective but also still um, allow, you know, EWB culture within me as I work, as David goes within our work, yeah. So, um, But also I had I managed to volunteer with Engineers of Borders Australia here, when I came here too. Amazing. <laughs> well done. I, because I wanted, you know, when you move, you feel disconnect, right? So I wanted to, you want to start with places that are familiar, with places that you trust. Even when you started EWB, like someone told David, like when he was initiating it, getting signatures, you know, start with people you trust and then your network will build. So, like, I started with Engineers by Borders Australia here because we heard about them when, you know, Engineers were Without Borders, South Africa is connected to EWBI, and, you know, you got there's these international conferences, but then we at least knew someone at Engineers here. <laughs> EWBI Australia, it's such a long... Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're going to cut that word out. But, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it was good to, you know, find a space where you could connect, and there I was, like, um, understanding, you know, just volunteering there in that space and to see um, the kind of energy you need. And this is just from a perspective of like, oh, yeah, they're doing different things from EWB South Africa. Here, it was just organizing events for for members, you know, giving them information sessions. So it was an easy flow, but it wasn't because they were already established. It's not like what happened with South Africa, EWB SA where you, you still need to, you're still evolving, you're still finding your voice and we're still Korean. like... You want to every single step you take, it's like push more, you know? Yeah, with, because in South Africa, there are still what you said, like webcode. You need to focus on industrial revolution one, two, three. Yeah, yes, so we need to get, Is this answering the question? I actually lost track. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is. I wanted to, you, I wanted to something
3: which I think, which is, where a major, major shift for me has happened over the last ten years, is mm-hmm. understanding how much change can happen at a local government level. Um, and so basically having engineers work for provincial, or having, having dedicated, passionate, compassionate engineers who, who are both have high technical competency and a deep desire to build South Africa, having them work at a local government and a provincial government level, and national, but like more on the local scale. Um, and so in municipalities, whether they're rural, whether they're urban in the metros, in the districts, and I think that's something we like, or it's it's I'll blame I'll blame our education system like across the universities for that, because I was never exposed to the possibility of working for local government at university. So I thought yeah. the only option that I'd really thought about was working for corporate. And yeah. it neglects it neglects that that engineers are drivers of local government. And I think local government has been very poor at promoting themselves as a as a good employer
4: correct um, yeah and I think but they need us honestly they, they, they need, need the information it. yeah, no, they do. yeah. So
3: I think for me it's like if let's say coming back to South Africa I think there'll be a very strong consideration of working like as you go through your careers you also you 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 move in at different levels and again like you like the way that you can contribute based on your experience and your skills changes over time um, correct. and I loved I loved hearing both and David and Michelle and actually also knew these I think this term evolution is quite strong in ewb that uh, like yeah. both in the people and in the organization that things don't change stay the same and they shouldn't because if we're still talking about the same issues we talked about 10 years ago it means we haven't moved forward um, yeah. and so i think we move forward as individuals and and our perspective changes as individuals and i think the same goes for the organization um and i think that that dynamic that dynamism is is beautiful it also means it's uncertain unstable it means that sometimes <sighs> feels really good other times feels a little bit less good um but so do our personal lives like you don't always feel fantastic about where you are in your
4: life
1: yeah (laughs) yeah you won't be here every day but there's a foundation to it like you might not know what the end looks like or whatever but you know like in a direction you would kind of help yourself to guide when making your decision as the AI, you know would <laughs> no, it's just, yeah. yeah, and also
3: actually, like one of the things I've been doing now, quite quite intentionally over the last years, is the last year is volunteering with different organizations. So just to get a just to get a sense of how other organizations are run. So I, I volunteered with one, which I felt like wasn't me at all. So it kind of was very very dogmatic. It had like boxes in which you can fit. And I was like, oh, I thought I was allowed to, to move here, and all I'm allowed to do is this little section of work Like. this. <laughs> But actually like this. Um, so there was one. And then I, I found another organization, um, Mozilla, which I really, really enjoy. And I think there's a lot that can be learned from, from spending some time out of. So let's say for me, spending, leaving EWB, spending time with Mozilla, understanding how an organization that spent 25 years building an open community runs itself, and be like, oh, they do some things that are so cool. I wish I, wish I would have known about that. When, when we were organising summits or when we were setting up EWB. And I think there's value in going and, and trying different things and also then bringing it back to, to home, bring it back to, to where you come from.
0: True. That's true. I always say that you, you learn a new app every time you, you, you enter an EWB call or something. Yeah, the other day I learned a new one, I learned Mural. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Mural, I to oh,
1: yeah. brainstorming one.
0: yeah i was thinking
1: you would like that one wouldn't you
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. okay cool happiness uh we have one last question and i think you guys have already answered this question but i I would like to get your final word on it um it's basically what role do african engineers have to play in the sustainable development of the continent going forward i think VIPs has already said her piece (laughs) just now (laughs) Yeah, when you're answering, I was like, I want to say yes. another piece. Okay, please, please <laughs> no, feel free. Yeah, <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead. It's good to start. Are oh, you yeah. all
1: right? Yeah, I'll go. So, I'm reading your question What role do African engineers have to play in the sustainable development of the continent? Oh, okay, I'll yeah, going
0: on. forward. Yeah, of going Africa. Forward. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, we need to be more active, right? So, I guess sustainable development it's from the ground to the government and then yeah. back. So it's, yeah, it's this whole circle. It's There are a lot of players in this circle, this Venn diagram. And yeah. engineers who are experts in their field and who are interacting with their colleagues and the community uh, should, because, contribute to policies being developed from government. So, um, yeah. like... So this is from my point of view. So yeah, so like for the academics and for people who can who know what's going on in their community and knowing what's going on with their technology, um, should contribute to like say, which I never knew about but but I've learned about it here, is about like um, you know, commenting on what do you call it, sub- government submissions. So when parliament issues out submissions and us they ask for comment and it's something Correct. like there's a new one that's out that I saw. It's on waste streams. You know, us engineers can comment on that. What do you think? Are they talking about there? You know, and um, so it's good for engineers to contribute to government submissions so that the government can see knowledge from the thought leadership that's coming from the engineers and go and consider that when generating uh, their policies. So even though they're not in government, some engineers or academics they can still contribute by. Submitting their thoughts to these formal processes that are in place within the um, law, yeah, the lawmaking process. So th- that would be good. That's one part. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we David could add more to today.
2: <laughs> Amazing. I can go. We yeah. can finish off. Finish off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, look, so I mean, I think it's so fundamentally important that African engineers play their role in developing Africa. I mean, and, I, and I think EWB has, I've always found it very um, inspiring to see how how it's so important to have locally, local context-driven solutions that aren't just like something that you get off the internet or something, but it's things that you really understand and you can really appreciate. I've always felt like if a comet were to hit the Earth, You'd really need like farmers, doctors and engineers. I mean like that those are the to me the three fundamental disciplines of society, modern society. You can have lawyers and, and other things too, and I'm not discrediting their professions or anything and Suppose yeah. I am doing this because I am an engineer too, but Yeah. Okay. fundamentally <laughs> to fundamentally to society. You need to eat, you need to be healthy, and then you yeah. need to have infrastructure to to yeah. do things before you can do anything else. And so engineering is so fundamentally important to that and I think Africa is in many ways like a final frontier with yeah. in terms of opportunity and development and potential. And so it's so important I think that African engineers take the reins of developing africa more than anyone else and um uh, it echoes what Pipka said you know uh, engineers should be going into places of influence and uh, you know where you actually have a buy-in at the decision-making table it's yeah. not just about being the nerd that yes. uh, does all the mathy stuff and builds the the thing it's about Having the brain and the context and the vision to to influence society and to be in to be in a position where you can do that, so that engineers are in society, but it's also important that engineers are in decision-making positions too to um, to grow Africa as well. Honestly, I really like what you
0: said about local context-driven solutions because oftentimes, I mean, that goes back to human-centered design. I quote HCD like in in all my meetings because you know but it's important like when you talk when you actually talk to people you learn so much even in the marketing context you just learn so much about your customer and your clients and and um just by doing that the solution that you come up with is so much more tailored to what they need and that alone is i think very critical for growing africa
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean like you if you think about it, would you like that's the only way. <laughs> you'd obviously yeah. want to know you'll know who you're developing something for, and I guess it's easy to say that, but to truly appreciate it is another thing, you know, like so people always say, Oh customers, you know, like the customers first and, yeah. to the and like yeah. so people know, <laughs> but do they really? Yeah,
0: yeah. you yeah. and you'll be surprised if you just dig a little deeper what you learn. So yeah, absolutely. No, I I I also want to say that a comet did hit the Earth in a way this year. So and so we had a lot of doctors were active. A lot of engineers still needed to keep the power running. Um, and just like you said, so um, yeah, we did have a comet of that nature. And it just showed us like again like how important engineers are in the grander um, scheme of the value chain. Like comes to food. Even, even, even now, like some of the facilities in South Africa actually changed their factories and started like manufacturing some, uh, you know, some, some hand sanitizer and masks and things like that. There was a real like effort from engineering to support medicine, which was also, like, you know, I don't know if it was well supported by the government or not, but that's you know the grander environment that we're working in.
2: Yeah. I think okay. Engineering is uh, problem solving. So yes. we're really good at that. So that's why yeah. we need to solve more. Like there will be a sequence of problems that will need to be solved in the future. And engineers just by their training and their, how they think is very good for that. Can
3: I add like the, the two things that I want to add? I want to add to what David was has been saying about funda- uh, fundamentals. And yeah. I also want to add, um, I want to unpack a bit what we mean of when we say sustainable development, because yeah. I think we use terms like that often quite quite easily on a conceptual and abstract level, but we don't really like unpack just it. To stop a moment. Because what we're really saying is, how can engineers help create an African continent that is livable for its people, in which yeah. the environment is is kept alive, and that can adapt to a context that is dramatically changing. Um, for one, because it's always been changing, but also because climate change is hitting us hard or going to hit us harder. And so really, it's it's like, forget sustainable development. It's about how do we create a continent that affords people, that, that keeps the environment intact, and that is adaptable. Um, and then if you start saying, so then let's start coming to fundam- fundamentals. What does it mean to have a continent for its people? Um, and so there's thing, what does for its people do? People need to survive as individuals and people want to connect as communities. Mm. Um, Surviving as individuals, like David was saying, is like what we need to do is eat, breathe, (laughs) have shelter, basic human needs. So you need farmers, you need food production. But in food production, like you you end up producing a surplus and you end up having a degree of specialization. So we need to have this comes to community, we we start having trade. Um, So we need to start saying is how do we start, how do we, how do we do food production? How do we enable trade? Um, trade yeah. requires infrastructure because you need to start yeah. moving goods Um also trade and food production require electricity because you need cold storage, because you do cooking, etc. Yeah. And so we really have to start, like, I think it helps moving away from abstract concepts like sustainable yeah. development and start saying concretely, what does it mean? So um, food,
0: water and power. Okay. Not to power
3: transport, but actually saying like i prefer even looking at it from a human perspective saying it, yeah. we need to nourish ourselves we need to, we want to communicate with each other we want to trade yeah. and that's basically it. it's like like it's like the world can be reduced to like some very few things it's like access yeah. to resources fighting over resources trading yeah. resources and yeah. um, and so then saying why do we need african and so kind of where, where we stuck at the moment is that that African engineers are lacking from so many spaces. So we sucked into corporates and yeah, we sucked people. into, or lured into, into wanting to create sexy high-tech businesses. When ultimately what we really need is we need, we need engineers in government or local government, because that is the space in which you create, a, like government has the function of creating an environment in which other actors can, can meet their functions. Um, And so engineers in in government roles mean that they create the foundation on which everything else is built. And then we need engineers grabbing opportunities and opportunities like, I think we often get innovation and R&D wrong. We think we need to create these like crazy things that have never been done before. Um, But entrepreneurship lies with the obstacles. Engineers in Africa need to go to remove the obstacles that people like ordinary people face on a day-to-day basis. And obstacles are things like, spending a long time to get energy, spending a long time to get water, spending a long I
0: can, time I to can I can give you an example, Vibs. I was visiting, like, my granddad's uh, village last, three weeks ago, and basically they only get water on Thursdays and they have a communal tap, uh, like, uh, maybe, let's say, six houses will have one communal tap and it comes, the water comes on Thursday. But then they have, like, a JoJo tank, and they have a lot of rain. So it's like they usually use rainwater for all the activities. But none of them have flushing toilets. None of them have, like, you know, anything that's, like, plumbing-related into their houses simply because they don't have a pump that can move the water from, you know, the JoJo tank to flush. That's what I realized. I realized that because I'm an engineer. But people, like, they're just living in that situation, and they feel like, oh, no, maybe the pump is too expensive for one house or they haven't thought about it or what there's a lot of like constraints that they worry about even just the contamination of the pipes and stuff so I get what you're saying like if we were in those communities hanging around because we are flushing everything in Joburg like everything looks so good but when you go out there there's like very minimal things that you can do to tweak like their current uh, way of life and just enhance it if they want it to be enhanced
4: and obstacles
3: opportunities so yeah I think that's yeah. what we need to be much more directed towards because it's yeah it's, it's the structures like we need African engineers to do it because unless you live in a place and you're connected to it you are not sure yeah. invested it in its future
0: yeah and you don't understand the challenges maybe as well as if you have like like been there literally mm-hmm. like if you had the exposure thank you so much for coming to Tea with Norma Thank you for all of your very candid responses. Um, We will be launching it next year. So uh, I'm going to edit it up and then send you the final uh, version of it. Yes. Thank cool, you you Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. It was so nice catching up with you guys. Oh, you are everywhere and not here. i you. Hey. Hey. hey, hey, it's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And
4: I think that's
3: okay. I want to add to that because it's, it's, it's something that I've become also increasingly passionate about. The South Africa's got a big diaspora across the world, and I think we don't really yeah. so much into that. I think quite often we've got a reactive we've got this reactive attitude of being like, oh, somebody has left. So uh, I'm not happy about yeah. them leaving. Make me feel bad about being here. It makes me feel like I shouldn't be here. Or something. And that's rubbish. Because I think we need yeah. to tap much more into, there, there's so much goodwill for South Africa everywhere in the world. And yeah. I think we need to tap into that and say, hey, there are all these people that want that want to help, that want to contribute again. Um, so mm. I think it's really great that we managed to dial in from three continents.
0: Mm. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Because we are without borders, remember, guys.
4: Not borders. Exactly. <laughs> yeah,
0: cool. No, thank you for the conversation. I really enjoyed just how candid we were able to have the chat. And I, I've been taking notes. Like I learned so much because <laughs> I'm the student. Yeah.
4: Cool. Thank you. Thank, thank you. So have much. a good one. Good afternoon. work. Good work. Thank you.